The story we heard today is the only version of it. Luke is the only gospel writer who records this event in the life of Jesus. Luke, being a physician, would have been drawn to a story like this. It's a story of healing, but also a story of hope and reaching out to those who've been shut out. No matter what physical, emotional, spiritual challenges knock us down, through the power of the Spirit, we can rise. More and more people are having neck problems from constantly looking down at screens on their phones. Some are so intently gazing down at what's in their hands that they're walking into poles. There's a commercial that uh, it happens almost every inning change of an Astros game. It starts with some girl singing, uh, It's a lovely day. And a guy who walks into traffic while looking down at his phone starts giving grief to the family that stopped and didn't hit him because he wasn't watching where he was going. It's a car commercial advertising its built-in technology that prevents drivers from hitting people who are looking down at their phones and walking in front of Volkswagens. The woman in our gospel lesson had no choice but to look down for 18 years. 18 years of looking down and being looked down upon. The implication is that she had not been born with this illness, Luke didn't say it was a condition all of her life, like another person that Jesus healed who was described as being born blind. Perhaps it was a calcium deficiency or a spinal injury or scoliosis or some extreme case of osteoporosis. Whatever the cause, Jesus saw her and she was permanently stooped over. 18 years of seeing only ankles. 18 years of not knowing who or what is coming next. 18 years of isolation. 18 years of being ignored. 18 years of being shut out. Verse 12 says, Jesus saw her. Now, lots of people had laid eyes on her, but Jesus saw her and spoke to her. Notice he told her she was freed from her ailment before he touched her, but when he touched her, she was able to rise and stand up straight. And what did she start doing? Praising God. I would too. Not everyone was praising God though. The leader of the synagogue was indignant. He objected to the timing of the healing. This was not an emergency case. It could have waited till the next non-Sabbath day. If say Jesus had say healed a child of burning up with fever who was in immediate danger of dying, it might have been more understandable. But that would have undermined the point Jesus was making. He was purposely, fragrantly breaking scribal law to make a point that people are more important than people's rules. The religious leaders of the day had taken the principle of Sabbath rest that the Lord commanded in the fourth commandment to the extent that no work should be done on the Sabbath. However, Jesus points out, they made exceptions when it came to livestock. Now Jesus is indignant. He said, if it's acceptable to lead an ox or a donkey to get a drink of water, how much more should you care for this daughter of Abraham who has been ill for 18 years? 
This crippled woman is of more importance to God than livestock. She is a daughter of Abraham. Jesus comes as a restorer of humanity. He sees each one of us as a unique creation, precious to God. It was not only the physical condition of this woman that he restored that Sabbath day. Many scholars point to this text where Jesus restores the dignity of all women. With his touch of his hand, he restores her health, but also her place in the community. What Jesus is saying that restrictions, laws, rules, institutions can, if we're not not careful, keep us from rising to the heights of charity that we are called to. This synagogue ruler had dehumanized this woman. Once you dehumanize someone and label them, it's much easier to dismiss them, to ignore them. Nothing can choke the heart and the soul of our walk with God like legalism. When we become rigid in our beliefs, it's a definite sign that the disciplines have crippled us. That doesn't mean we do not have rules. It just warns us to be careful that not let our rules rule us. We need to be open to making exceptions for daughters as well as for sons of Abraham. Have you ever been at a reception talking with someone and you become aware that he's looking over your shoulder to see who else is coming in so that he can talk to them instead of you? It hurts to be ignored. But Jesus saw her. He saw more than a woman doubled over with infirmity. He identified with her. He empathized with her pain, her downcast disposition. And he said to him, ah, here is my sister, utterly precious in God's sight. What a shame it would be if she suffers one additional moment if a cure can take place. When I fell last November and sustained a compression fracture of my L2 vertebrae, I was so glad when I came out of surgery and the pain was gone. I'd been in pain for 18 hours. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be in pain for 18 years. For Jesus, one more day, even though it it was the Sabbath, one more day was one too many, and he made an exception. When I was serving as pastor of Faith Presbyterian in Baytown, one of our members was Josh Higginbotham. Josh had been out and out of the hospital for much of the six years that I knew him, He was paralyzed from the waist down. He lost one leg to diabetes. And once when I visited him, he'd been transferred from the hospital to a care facility. And his three days there, being around people who did not have their mental faculties, made him grateful for the abilities he still had more than what he no longer had. At that visit, I prayed with Josh and his wife, Barbara, and the nurse's aide, that was in the room with us. And when I left, the nurse's aide walked out with me. And in the hallway, she said, Pastor, the man across the hall is dying and he really needs a prayer. I don't know how to do that. Would you give him a prayer? I agreed. And she took me into the room and said, here's a pastor who's come to give you a prayer. (laughs) I took a few moments to find out his name, a little bit about him. I 
asked him if he had a church home, and he said he was Presbyterian, and I said, so am I. And I prayed with him. And when we prayed the Lord's Prayer, he said debts and debtors, so I knew he was a Presbyterian. (laughs) That nurse's aide saw the man in the room across the hall. In a facility of hurting people, he could have been just another number, but he was not invisible to her. The nurse didn't think she could give a prayer, but she did by finding someone who could. Maybe you may not be able to meet a need, but you may be able to find someone who can. Who is God calling you to see? Never count people out. Pray for them. And if you can't pray, find someone who can. And that's why we have the prayer partners in the chapel praying for us and for the request that you gave during the first hymn this morning. If someone is down on their luck, assist them. If they're not up to a task, teach them. If they have a burden, help them bear it. If they failed, encourage them. Help them rise. Last Monday, I attended a funeral for the mother of a friend, Frances Harris, celebrated her 96th birthday two days before she joined the church triumphant. As her family and friends gathered to honor her memory, the running theme was joy, the joy with which she lived her life. She poured into her life. She poured her life into her family and friends and co-workers, and no one was overlooked. At her graveside service, her son read a prayer from the Book of Common Prayer that I've read at many a graveside. And before he prayed, though, he instructed those gathered, he would lead us in the prayer the Lord taught us and that we would use debts and debtors instead of trespassers. But when we got to that part, it sounded like, forgive us our threats, because (laughs) out of habit, so many started, and they remembered it was debts. and And we, just like you, broke into laughter at a graveside. That was a gift from her life of joy. Jesus provided for the woman who was bent over for 18 years what no one else could, but he healed her. There's no way the synagogue ruler could have healed this woman. But at least he could have shown her some respect and provided her some dignity. And that is something we can all do. We can all treat one another with respect. We can be on the lookout to not overlook others. A few years ago, a doctor published his personal testimony in a medical journal, and he said, I thought I, uh, I considered myself one of the best and brightest, having just left a prestigious residency and a fellowship program. I thought I was, I was honed to a fine medical edge. And one day I stepped past a wheelchair and I met John. He was a referral from a colleague. He was 14 and he had cerebral palsy and was painfully deformed and was extremely ill. He had been abandoned by his parents at an early age. He knew few friends and he lived in a foster home. He also had widespread cancer. During the next year, numerous and prolonged hospitalizations were required to keep him partially comfortable. He never complained. 
He showed courage. Nonetheless, his care became an increasing ordeal. Finally, after a particular frustrating day for the two of us, John grabbed my arm and said, I'm sorry to be such a burden to you. And that night he died. The doctor wrote, I've never forgotten John and the lesson that he taught me. He taught me there was more to me than I gave myself credit for being. He taught me that giving my best is to become my best. He taught me that life is full of opportunities to become more. Sometimes, by the grace of God, we're presented with a challenge that calls forth our best. What we discover is that by giving our best, we become our best. What is God calling you to do? Who is calling for your attention? Who is it that you might be overlooking? Those of you who are returning to the classroom, whether as an administrator or a staff or teachers or students, keep an eye out for those who need to be seen. Those who need to know that someone cares. Those who need to be challenged and encouraged and enabled to rise. On Friday, I watched a movie about a young couple that had to free their homeland to avoid violence. And to do so, they had to make the terrible choice to have to leave behind her firstborn infant son in the care of grandparents. They fled to one country and then to another. And even in their new home, they suffered as victims of racism, xenophobia, and humiliation. While in that country that was not their own, they had four more boys. And they always had to be on guard because of their immigration status. They held down various jobs. The boys sold rosaries in the open market. Their life was hard, but the boys grew up. And when the second oldest turned 18, he was drafted by the Milwaukee Bucks as the last pick in the 2013 NBA draft. Eight years later, Giannis Antetokounmpo was the most valuable player in the 2021 NBA Finals upon their first championship since 1971. From a life of being on the run to running up and down a court for a living, this 26-year-old's life so far is the subject of this feature film on Disney Plus called Rise. After years of struggle, Giannis was able to rise. Maybe it's you this morning that needs to rise. Jesus sees you. Jesus will not ignore you. You too are a daughter or a son of Abraham. How long has it been? 18 years? More? Less? Is one day, one more day, one too many? You may not have a bad back, but you may have a bad something. We all have a sign of brokenness. Our identity statement here at St. Andrews says we are a community of broken people learning to be loved by Jesus so that we can love like Jesus. All of us have a sign of brokenness, of being sinners in need of God's grace. 
It could be whining or complaining or fault-finding or a tendency to count problems more than blessings. Maybe it's a bad habit of manipulating family members rather than just loving them. Maybe it's a fixation with your rearview mirror, always looking back at some dream that got derailed rather than keeping an eye open for a new dream God wants to show you. It might be having a spirit of resentment or a pessimistic attitude or a selfish streak. Maybe you've been an opponent that is put to shame. I find it encouraging that when the woman began to praise God, those who had been opposing Jesus were put to shame. It's still possible for people to be put to shame. All of us have some kind of bent, no matter how straight we stand. All of us have a desire and a need to rise, to rise, to look up. And you too can start praising God. Jesus came into this world so we might have life and what more abundantly to rise. We have a promise that like the woman who spent 18 years looking at the ground like my friend Josh, like the man across the hall from Josh who needed a prayer, like the 14-year-old John who taught his doctor to be his best, like Francis Harris who at the age of 96 years and two days, like Hillary, there will come a day for us when it will be our turn to see Jesus. And like them, we will rise. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for those prophets, priests, poets, and parents of our faith. Their visions of peace call us to greater works of faith. Their prayers on our behalf sustain us when our words are found wanting. Their example abides in us still. We rejoice at these signs of your mercy and are continually grateful for the gift of your Spirit. Your Holy Spirit strengthens us when temptation comes and helps us to discern your will as we respond to the needs of others. Oh, Jesus, we have promised to serve you to the end. Teach us to number our days so that we make the most of each one. Give us words to say and the knowledge that you are with us when we say them. Give us strength to rise above our circumstances and rise to the occasion until the day we answer our call to rise. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.